Welcome to Breaking the Bias. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders from across our industry, shining a light and sharing stories of workplace empowerment. Welcome to this episode of Breaking the Bias, brought to you by Momentum, the global growth consultancy. Having personally lived and worked in North America and across several countries in Europe, I'm always fascinated to hear how different social cultures affect diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So today I'm thrilled to be joined by someone who has a lot of experience in in working in different countries and for organisations of all all shapes and sizes. Christina Limoni, Acting Chief Operating Officer for Microsoft in Greece, Cyprus and Malta. Christina, welcome. No, thank you for the invitation, Elisa. I'm really excited and I have been hearing a lot about the podcast you're doing. So looking forward to our discussion. Well, great to have you with us. Christine, I know when when we met probably five, six, seven years ago now, the years years fly by quickly, you were in a a very interesting role at um, Vodafone. I know your career has continued to propel um, from from our very first meeting. It'd be great if you could just kick us off with with a bit about you and, um, and, and your career so far. Yes, sure. So I started earlier as a salesperson. So I was always at the commercial side of things um, on the enterprise side, not so much on the consumer side. So I started as a seller, actually, in various companies and then landed, let's say, at my first job uh, around technology, which was at Vodafone. And early enough, then I realized uh, the supporting system around sales that uh, needs to be strong enough, but also effective and efficient enough. And that's how I started jumping into different roles with that company. Um, and then I came to the UK with, because I started from Greece, where I was leading the global team for sales enablement. Um, and that was across the three different regions. And our main role was actually to make those connections between sales, marketing, operations, systems and tools, compensation systems. So orchestrating, let's say, the background so everyone can be at their best. And that's how slowly, slowly I got into marketing. I I loved uh, how we can change uh, our customers' perception about the technology we were selling, but also how can we enhance our messaging and help our sellers have more effective messaging towards our customers and also for the same kind of experience. And I think that was about like five, six years ago when we met, when I was heading up the group marketing strategy and propositions for Vodafone Group. Um, where actually we got uh, three different awards, and I'm really proud of them at a global level. Two of them were from the US, uh, Stevie Awards, and one in the UK, which was about the innovative, let's say, marketing uh, proposition that we launched back then. Um, And a key part of that uh, success also and the revenues we brought actually was our collaboration uh, that I have close in my heart because it helped me be successful too. And then jumped into a different technology area with Canon, Uh, Again, as a head of uh, their sales at excellence and enablement, that had to do again, how do we help our sellers become better with better marketing materials, but also materials across the sales cycle. But at the same time, how do I operate as systems? So I was lucky enough that always in my positions, I was looking not just from one angle, let's say the marketing, the enablement, the excellence side, but how do we make those connections between the different teams that work together to bring the result. And that's how I ended up uh, five years ago, uh, heading up uh, INEA Cloud Sales Excellence and Productivity for Google Cloud. A very different experience. I think it is a benchmark organization on the diversity and inclusion culture that they have. 
And, and that was a key decision for me to jump into that position, not just to create something because Google Cloud was at the very early stages, let's say, of uh, being created as a business uh, because it was quite new. So it was the entrepreneur child of Google, but also at the same time joining an organization where diversity and inclusion was very high on their agenda. And over the last years, the pandemic came. I think that everybody were able to notice that something happened. And uh, part of, of us living in the UK and our family being in Greece was a little bit worried. We were worried a little bit about is, uh, is our little one that we brought a little one two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, is she going to be able to meet her grandparents, have some memories, you know, with them? Um, and that, uh, that was the moment where we thought, should we go back or shouldn't we go back? And our key question was around diversity and inclusion. So I'm in a same-sex family, let's say. And that was one of the key questions that we had in mind. Can we go back to Greece? Um, and if we can, what is the industry that we can go back with? And that's a short story, a long story short, how I ended up being the chief operating officer for Greece, Cyprus and Malta. Um, started last year and moved to Greece in October. Fantastic. And you mentioned the the, the debate of moving back to Greece. Was that a, a cultural thing about acceptance and you know, finding roles or was it more around the, the, the logistical side? So the logistical side never never kind of scared us, but it was more of the cultural side. And a big issue was the legal differences that the, each country has towards diversity and inclusion. Christina, I was really impressed to see you speaking at um, the Delphi Economic Forum a few months ago. I, unfortunately, it was all in Greek, so I didn't understand it. <laughs> It'd be great if you could uh, just tell us a bit more about um, what you, the topic you were talking about and, and some of the key messages that you delivered. Yes, yeah, sure. So the Delphi Economic Forum is one of the biggest forums in the Balkans. Um, it includes um, high-profile participants, high-profile speakers from across Europe. Uh, but also a lot of government-related uh, 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 people. And it's one of the biggest ones and most international one that actually is being held in Greece at a Greek level. Um, and for the first time in their history, actually, they had a whole day dedicated around the people pillar. And it all started because uh, myself and one more person suggested to them that we should be including something uh, about diversity in the economy. And it started with the LGBTQI+. Plus, and the economy, the forum, that finally ended up to be a full day of different panels around people empowerment. And I'm really happy that this happened because I feel like I've put, you know, a little idea in their head on how important that is. One of the key elements and why we did that is, you know, in technology right now, in the technology industry, we're talking about a huge skills gap that we have, that we have less skilled people around technology than the actual open positions. And sometimes companies narrow, let's say, their pool of talent based on different elements. And the key speaking point that I had was not just about LGBTQI+, but diversity as a whole, and how that suddenly gives us a bigger pool of talent. Uh, so we shouldn't be narrowing the talent ourselves, but we should be looking across all of the different you know, groups of people in order to find the right talent for the right job. 
And in your experience, Christina, just thinking about that skill gap in technology and, and keeping that talent pool as wide as possible, have you experienced organisations hiring for a particular mould or fit of, of person as opposed to thinking in, in a broader setting? What's your experience been at the talent acquisition end? So I will speak from the experience I have on the companies I've worked and all of them have been on the technology industry. And then the experiences that I have outside that space is from colleagues or friends that I talk to. And I see a huge difference. Um, I see that technology companies are very structured, let's say, and they have taken a lot of different processes and ways of ensuring that they do not exclude uh, anyone from the hiring process, unless it is about the skill set that they need to have. The difference that I see with other companies is that sometimes even from the hiring process and how you write actually a job ad, you start excluding people by using a specific gender, by using specific characteristics that are not needed for the job. And this, I think, is the difference with technology. Interesting. And what's your, have you noticed differences working across Vodafone, you know, Canon, Google, and now Microsoft? Are there differences within uh, those organizations that you've experienced? You mentioned Google being that the benchmark in terms of organization uh, agenda for, for DNI. Um, I think it's just a different, let's say, journey stage, but they're all towards the same journey. And this is the positive message behind that, that everybody is trying to understand how they can better include diversity and inclusion in their organization. What I did notice, though, is that companies like Microsoft that I'm now and Google are always doing a, are kind of a step ahead. Um, and what I mean by that, we have been talking a lot in the HR space about localization. So how do you take global policies and localize them in your different markets? Um, and as we realize, different markets have different legislation, for example, frameworks. So sometimes they adapt that global policies into their local frameworks. What I've noticed is that uh, both the companies, the last two companies that have been working that are purely technology companies, they're going a step beyond that. They apply those policies, those benefits, those procedures, even beyond the letter of the law. And I think that is what makes a difference for anyone who wants to work in a company that makes diversity and inclusion. But also, I think it's inspiring for our customers because they see that we're not just uh, talking the walk, but actually we're walking the talk. And Christina, you mentioned about Google as an example, you know, and, I, and I've seen this at organizations where there's, there is a lot of talk around DNI, but then um, there are, are definitely still pockets, be that, you know, all, all teams are made up of individuals and every individual has their own biases. How has, um, uh, you know, an organization like Google and thinking about some of the sales teams, the marketing teams, operations teams that you've worked with how does that trickle down in reality you know are, are teams all living and breathing that same mindset or, or do you still experience pockets of uh, bias or extremes uh, within within teams i haven't experienced let's say bias within the teams the most important thing is the investment of the company to help people understand their biases and you cannot understand them all some of them are so let's say deep inside us that we react in a way and we don't even realize that and so, but training people around that, but also having the psychologically safety to talk and ask, even if you don't understand, or even if you did a mistake, having an open culture of giving the feedback that we know the intentions were good. However, the result is the same, no matter, you know, if you say something which is discriminating, 
it doesn't matter if the intention was good or, or bad because the result is the same for the person that actually receives that, that kind of energy. And I think this is where the difference comes. And it's very same to Microsoft too. It's training people and providing a safe environment where they can give back feedback, but also for those who are trying to be better is to make questions and not be afraid of asking, how can I handle a situation like that? How can I become better? Well, what's your sense on, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk around, you know, greenwashing and, you know, organisations hitting, you know, quotas or, or numbers. You know, what, what's your experience been more, more broadly? It, it sounds like you've had quite a different experience, UK versus Greece in terms of individual perceptions and awareness. Yeah, I, I can talk about Microsoft because I cannot always talk for the other companies. And I have to admit that, they, yes, there are a lot of discussions around that. But there is an honest effort of trying, for example, to be more sustainable, not just us, but also our customers, also us as a company. And everyone is on that journey of how do we apply that and every day, how do we become better at that? And on that journey, I'm not saying that somebody will not do mistakes. The key thing for me is to realize we have done a mistake, if we have done a mistake, or if we haven't done a mistake, how can we do every day something better? And that is a key driver that I see inside the company that I work now, is to always think, how can I become better? Even if I haven't done a mistake and I just did something really great and good, how can I do better? And that comes across all of the elements that come with our organization, not just our sales numbers, but also giving back to the community, helping our customers become better. Um, and I'm saying that with great confidence, because the reason that I did came back to the Greece is... Right now, Microsoft is doing a lot of investments in the country. So we have announced a data center that comes with specific investments behind it. And it's not just the physical investment of the data center that will also bring more jobs. But with the data center, there are so many other programs that come to enhance that. For example, we have made a promise to upskill 100,000 people in Greece by 2025. And currently, we have already upskilled 45,000 people. Um, this year, we launched uh, programs that have to do with unemployed people. We launched um, a technical skills program for a thousand unemployed people, and we had 98% attendance. Um, and now we also see people that are being certified um, in our, let's say, technology. So we're trying to actually, which is not about numbers, um, but it is about doing something good, offering back to the economy that you, um, you operate, because when that economy thrives and that society thrives, you also thrive as a company. And for me, this is a positive message. Yeah, no, it's definitely all interconnected. And and you just, you touched on it there, Christina. But you you're um, you've obviously worked in in Greece before, be, uh, moving to the UK, and and now moving back. H how is it different um, when it comes to DNI? Do you feel like the agenda? It's higher up on the agenda. Is it lower down? You've talked about a little bit about around visibility. Can you can you describe that for me? I think there is a lot of positive, let's say, changes that I've seen. You know nine years ago and now coming back. Also, having seen how the UK operates, uh, which I think it's, it's way, way beyond, let's say, other countries on that space, um, there are still a lot of, uh, there is a lot of way to go at, at, at the Greek level. The good thing is that it is high on the agenda. There are a lot of discussions around that. We see that there are a lot of events trying to educate people, but also surface the problems and the issues. 
And what, what we're seeing now and what we would, I would like to see personally is also that the legislative framework comes in to support those uh, efforts that private companies are doing like ourselves. Yeah. And how did you find working in the UK as, you know, you, you're, you've already touched on, you know, you're, you're in a minority group, you know, both from a personal perspective and, and just thinking about the roles that you've taken. How was the UK as, as I guess, a, a non, non-national? What was your experience like? Yes, yes. That's a, an interesting, um, it's, it's an interesting question. And the reason is, because um, I joined before the economic crisis that happened in Greece. And I was very welcomed, I have to admit, and always felt welcomed. Um, I actually now have a British citizenship. And the reason is because I do admire and I'm grateful for what the UK has offered to me. Interesting is, we talked about biases before. When the economic crisis um, hit Greece, and I was uh, then living and working in the UK, I did see a shift of perception, let's say, or behavior at the moment. It was just, you know, for a couple of months, but it shows how strong the perceptions are when we behave towards other people. So before the economic crisis, when somebody listened, for example, Greek or me talking to a friend of mine in Greek, they were all excited. Are you Greeks? Oh, my God, we love Greece uh, for this and that reason. There was a very difficult period while then. And I'm talking, you know, from a privilege of view because I'm white. I am uh, a woman, so I'm not, let's say, marginalized because of the way I look. But mm-hmm. when they were listening back then Greek, suddenly you could see the change at behavior, like the shame of Europe, or you know, you're lazy, you are avoiding taxation. And this is part of the biases that people, you know, start creating, for example, from listening to the news or not actually looking to see what is the real situation. However, that was overcome uh, over the years, and I have only positive, let's say, experiences to to share. And Christina, how when you're in that situation, how have you overcome come that? Is it about calling calling it out, making it more visible? Is it about um, providing, you know, that open forum so people can ask questions? You know, how have you best contended in a situation where you felt that there's been a bias in the room? I'm actually a data-driven person in general. So, and I'm also outspoken. So I do <laughs> usually <laughs> say what I think. Uh, but on situations like that, what I have realized, aggressiveness is never a good, let's say, consultant, because you instantly put the other person in the position of having to defend themselves. Um, but um, the way that I always approach that is by providing data and opportunity for discussion. Um, simple examples that people can understand. So if you are a private employee, what are the chances of you avoiding taxes and taxation? Taxation is actually kept from your salaries way be before the money land, let's say, into your pocket. And this is something that people think, oh, yes. And, you know, Greece has also a lot of private employees. So you shouldn't be generalizing. And that doesn't just come with that. But because I used the crisis example back then, we shouldn't generalize something and apply that across a big population or a small population. And I think this is what, what the best approach that I've seen works for me. Sometimes I do get a lot of questions, especially in Greece. Why do you need to be out? What do you need to say that you're lesbian? Why do you need to state that you're in a same-sex family? And then what I always say to people is that legally, my daughter is not my daughter in Greece. And they always look at me because they, they cannot actually process that because they don't know that legally, my daughter is not my daughter in Greece. And then I try to help them and I tell them, do you know what that means? That means that if my wife uh, dies, for example, Worst case scenario, my daughter is not coming to, to myself. 
I cannot have any relationship with myself. That she goes to the relatives of my wife because my wife is not my wife in Greece. Or if they don't want to, you know, take custody of the child, then she will go to an institution instead of coming and living with her own mother. And this is a human story that people can understand and relate. And then they realize, okay, now I understand why you need to be out and loud because I'm fighting for human rights, at least right now um, in Greece. Yeah, I mean, it has some really far-reaching consequences, doesn't it? And Christine, just thinking about those different geographies and, and your own work experience, you've, you've worked across uh, UK-owned businesses like a, like a Vodafone and you've worked in US-owned organisations. Ha- have you found that the culture has been different, the ap- approach to diversity has been different because of those organisation ownership? I think that sometimes the effort is bigger. That, that's the difference I see. Because uh, I also lived in Finland, I worked in the Netherlands, in Malta. Um, and what I see sometimes, the effort that we have to put behind is a little bit bigger. What I mean by effort is the effort of educating people, of training people, of uh, coaching them and helping them understand and be inclusive. That might be a difference. Um, and the only reason is because of that cultural difference, but also I think the legislative difference, because the legislation sometimes leads the culture and the culture, the legislation. So it's not that the Greeks are not good people. It's just that the culture is a little bit different. So that means we need to put a different effort when we're talking, for example, about diversity. Uh, So we emphasize a lot, for example, um, women uh, in business right now, because um, the number of CEOs that we have across Greece is a minimum number, um, which is um, interesting and shocking for me coming from the UK. Uh, So gender, for example, agenda is very high. Gender diversity is very high at Greece at the moment. Um, I think the only difference is the effort you need to be behind. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, country to country where you've worked in different organizations or or where organizations have been owned by different entities, they, they have a slightly different balance of challenges and some of this does also link to legislation in the country and and also um, social cultures yeah um yes i think you summarized it in a great way um think of any refreshment you know you have to localize it a little bit and serve it (laughs) based on where you serve it Uh, so there's a different a little bit of different taste in the uk a little bit of different taste in greece a little bit of different taste in germany or in finland yeah. And we've talked a bit about, um, you know, you, you being a minority um, executive uh, group, if you will, in in Greece and across your, your organization. What, what's the, the most encouraging inclusive experience that you've had? You know, let's let's talk about what you've seen that has worked. It was actually my recruitment process. The general manager that we have is a is an amazing professional I'm, I really admire him at, the, at levels as a human being, as a professional, and as a GM, actually. And one of the first things that I've put on the table, because I did know him many, many years ago when I was in the closet in Greece, I did um, put on the table, you know, my family issue, and that if I do come in Greece, uh, first of all, there are a couple of things that I don't think are negotiable, which is my health, for example, coverage across my family. Because if your daughter is not your daughter, so then how do you ensure her? These kind of questions. And that for me was the best experience and the first experience I had with the country. When he literally kind of embraced the situation and told me that no matter what, for Microsoft, you are going to be a full family. We don't care what is the form of the family. Um, And for me, that was the most encouraging and empowering at the same time 
situation. And I'm saying empowering because, you know, you negotiate salaries, contracts, uh, starting dates, um, health insurance for your family. And those are some of the things that you don't expect them, let's say, to be in your need uh, immediately when you move. And when we moved in Greece, day three, um, our little daughter goes to the hospital. So we were both working, me and my wife, and we had to go to the hospital where we had to face, let's say, the Greek reality in a very bad way because our minds and hearts were, we need to see our daughter and make sure that she's okay. She was two years old. She wasn't speaking the language. She was with her auntie because she was keeping her for the day. And she just met her in person like for three days. Uh, so we're really worried about the little one. And also, we were worried about her health. And then we realized that at the reception, they wouldn't allow us both to go in because they couldn't handle that the fact that there were two mothers. When we overpassed the reception, we had the same challenge with the supervisor of the unit that also didn't let us go inside. And then when we finally managed to get inside the room just to see how our daughter is, one of the nurses comes in and just screams to us, only the mother should be in the room. And you can think of how awkward it was for us looking at each other. What gave me, let's say, power over that, those difficulties to be calm and keep giving them the same answer that, you know, we're both mothers, we just need to see our little one, calm her down, and then one of us will stay. One was the human side of the, of the story, that people started finally, after screaming that for five times, to see the human side and try to understand how can we enter the room both of us but my confidence behind was it was a private hospital it was covered by my private insurance my company's private insurance which covered my whole family and that gives you a different confidence you know when you're facing difficulties like that that's why i'm using that example that what that was the best experience and the first experience i had And that's something that I was just, as, it, as you were talking there, Christina, you, you're obviously very open and, and very direct. Um, but have you found that over the last um, couple of years, you've, you've brought more of your whole self to, to roles in the workplace, to, to, to your own career um, versus, you know, perhaps how you were 10 or 15 years ago? Yes, definitely. I think it was a mind opener when I first joined Google and now with Microsoft and the benefits of bringing your whole self at work. You don't, you don't have to think twice about, um, you know, um, what are you going to say? What are you going to wear? How are you going to look? And that is so liberating. What do you have to wear? What you don't have to wear? Um, and it's so liberating. The biggest benefit around that is being in a culture of open feedback. Uh, because with open feedback, we hear new ideas. We, we can become better ourselves. We can help others become better. And then you create actually a, a culture of psychological safety. And that means that even the smallest idea suddenly comes to the surface, you know, because when people feel scared or they're afraid of talking openly, they're afraid of being themselves, they might have an idea which links to their identity, for example, and they will not bring it to the table. And actually, it might be an amazing idea. We're talking about technology that actually is addressing everyone in our uh, communities. How can we make technology if we don't actually include the, the, the society and the different groups of the society inside our own company that actually creates that technology? 
I think this is the biggest benefit of inclusion. And what gave you the platform to do that? What, you know, you mentioned Google being a bit of a catalyst, but were, were there a specific, was this a trigger point in your own career or life that you said, this is, I'm fully embracing myself and, and going all in, or, or was it a mentor? What, what, what helped you really, I guess, cross, cross that chasm? I think there were two major events that really pushed me towards that. One was in one of the multinational companies that I used to be. We were in a EMEA, let's say, conference with sales directors. And the realization that in the room we had 160 top executives, we only had one black person and two women out of 160. And I remember that day, that was the day that I said, okay, now I'm coming out because I'm not just a woman. I'm also, you know, part of the LGBTQI community. That was a key trigger for me, but it was also a key trigger to say that I want to go to companies that really invest in diversity and inclusion. And then the second trigger was when we decided to have a child and we realized that we would have issues, legal issues with Greece. So that's why my daughter, uh, she first uh, uh, became British and now we're in the process of, uh, of making her, let's say, Greek. That was the second moment when our own embassy told us, um, threw us out. They, they just declined us and they said that you should have thought it before uh, having her. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm expecting a legislation change coming led by you, Christina, very, very soon. So I'll, I'll watch this space. Um, how in your teams have you created an environment of safety? I know you've, you've worked in small teams, led large teams and, you know, lots of your team you're still in touch with from previous roles to today. Can, can you give me a sense of how you foster that safe environment? Yes, yes. And I, I do, I'm in contact with a lot of my teams in, uh, from previous um, companies too. That is true. The key element here is that um, leaders can be vulnerable. And I think when you show vulnerability to your team, they understand that it's safe for them also to be vulnerable. Either that relates to their work or sometimes to their life, if they want to share that with you. So it first starts, I believe, with us as leaders. You know, when we are vulnerable in front of our teams, that means it's okay for them to be vulnerable. Then, so one, that is one of the elements. The second thing that I always pay attention to is creating that safety and psychological safe environment for them to make questions, um, you know, question themselves, question others, give open feedback and, and escalate fast. Because escalation is not a bad thing. It's a thing that we do in order to resolve things fast, um, which is a, a mindset change. In most of the companies, usually escalation is a bad thing. Uh, I need my manager to resolve it. But for me, it's not. It's like, let's help each other and move forward. So the key component for teams is the psychological safety for them to know that they have a safe space where they can create ideas, they can suggest ideas, and they can get honest feedback. Uh, but also that will help them create an even better idea. Uh, fantastic feedback, I think. I've seen that work definitely uh, firsthand. What, what would your advice be, Christina, for individuals working at companies that you know, aren't as inclusive, you know, perhaps are in that environment that you described of, you know, 160 people that fit one shape and size and, you know, maybe one or two in, in, in the minority? What, what would your advice be? My advice would be that please do open your range of um, diversity and inclusion. And the reason is because you are excluding talent. Uh, and you're not just excluding talent, but you are making people who would love to work maybe for you decide that they don't want to work for you. 
So you exclude current and future talent. Um, that would be my biggest uh, advice. In technology, we have multiple stories in the past, how an application was launched. It was only created by people who are right-handed people. It was only tested by people who are right-handed people. And suddenly, somebody downloaded the application being a left-handed <laughs> and couldn't use it. Yeah. So a very simplistic example of why you should have diversity inside your company. And if you don't, then at least make sure you include it during the process. And if you were speaking to a friend it, working in a company that, um, you know, maybe was talking the talk, not necessarily walking the walk or, or you know, have big, big pockets of everybody fits a certain mold, what, what, what would your guidance be to them aside from uh, move to a different organization? <laughs> Is there anything individuals can do to, to help foster a, a culture of, that's more inclusive? Yes. So before you leave your company, uh, <laughs> make allies. I think being an ally or find somebody that uh, can support you, let's say, if you do belong in one of those groups. If you're not on those groups, you can't imagine how much you can help a person by being an ally. You can literally help them have a better life, a better balance, a better well-being. And we know, especially during the pandemic, how important that is. Yeah, no, fantastic advice. And you've already shared your own personal story of how empowering it can be to to have a, a level of individual support, even from your you know, line manager or peer. Really, really interesting. Finally, Christine, I'd love to finish on, you know, just thinking about your your own career and and where you are today um, and, and thinking about the DNI agenda. What, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud, actually, of everything that I've done. Not in an arrogant way. I'll give a small and a big example. I'm really proud that I'm able now to have a position that it's uh, not just, you know, revenue focused, but we're giving actually something back to my home country by the investments we're making, the data center investments, the investment in people. And it's a it's an amazing position to be, uh, to be able not just to contribute on the success of your business and your organization, but in the way helping your own country progress. And I believe this is a unique let's say, position. And I'm really proud of being one of the very few young, I will say, at 43, women CEOs in the IT space, um, but also being the only lesbian in Greece. I'm also proud of that. And do, do you think you've been more successful because you've been more open and you've, you've embraced who you are and you've not tried to fit into certain stereotypes? I believe it has helped me listen others a little bit better. Okay. Uh, or more openly, at least, not better, because I think better is too, uh, too strong. But because of who I am and where I belong, um, I'm a little bit more empathetic to others. And I think this is a key difference that I see, at least. It doesn't matter who brings the idea for me. Uh, it doesn't matter who starts the conversation. The target is to become better um, at all of the elements of our lives. Fantastic. It's been really inspiring talking to you, Christina. Fantastic to hear and, and see the trajectory you've been on to, to, to your current role. And I'm sure you'll go on to do more and drive even, even greater impact, um, both for, you, for your daughter and um, legislatively in, in Greece and, and across Microsoft. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, sharing your insights. No, Alisa, thank you. Thank you. And apologies for any mistakes I've done. You know, I'm now wearing my Greek uh, brain uh, uh, when I'm talking English. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elisa.
This podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the global growth consultancy, a female-owned business brimming with incredible female talent. We're actively striving to close the gender gap. You can learn more at wearemomentum.com.